You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about the way that natural science helps us to understand ourselves, the human person. We really would not be terribly interested in the atoms or the Big Bang or even the little animals in Timbuktu if they didn't have relevance to our self-understanding and our own life. And so the culmination of all the endeavors of natural science is understanding of the human person. And we have greatly advanced in that respect. What we know about the human body now is far different than was known in the Middle Ages. And as for Aristotle, Aristotle thought the heart was the organ of thought rather than the brain. Now he thought that for empirical reasons. The physicians of his time told him that when they operated on the skull, as they sometimes had to do with people who had had injuries to the skull, they found that the brain was very cool. And furthermore, that Merely touching the brain did not cause sensation. It was insensitive. Aristotle then, who knew no kinds of energy except heat, which in his physics was the principal kind of energy, when he found out that the brain is cool and the heart is hot, and we have our feelings in our heart. Suppose that it was the heart that was where our imagination, our feelings, and so on are located. A terrible mistake. But I emphasize it because it is arrived at by an interpretation of the known facts. And that's where science always is. Science often makes mistakes because it is trying to interpret the facts available in the light of basic experiences which are certain, while the interpretations of the details of nature are far from certain. What then is the brain? The materialist would say, on the basis of his notion of the foundations of science, that the brain is what thinks. We think with our brains. And someday, when we know the brain better, we will be able to explain human consciousness and thought. And yet, it is generally admitted among scientists that we're not at that stage yet. For example, the Nobel Prize winner, Sir John Nichols, has written a book wanting to go back to Descartes, 
And Descartes' notion of the duality of mind and body, because he says modern science is so far from explaining self-consciousness. There is another way to look at this problem, however. I have already pointed out that we know that all our knowledge comes from our senses. The materialist is right in that. But we also know that we process that knowledge to arrive at an essential knowledge of things. If we couldn't do that, we couldn't have science. We couldn't have any kind of critical thinking. We must, therefore, have, in addition to our sense faculties, also the power of intellection or abstract analysis and abstract logical thinking. That is manifest in human speech. It is manifest in human culture, human creativity, all the things that make us very different than the animal. And we know that this is reflected in the fact that we have a very big brain. But the more we know about the brain, the more we see that what the brain does is to gather sense information and synthesize it and store it and process it so that it can be used by our intelligence. Most of us have experienced in our studies that we work over a problem for a long time. We have the information before us. But somehow we're not getting the point. Then there's a moment of insight. Insight means that all of a sudden it makes sense. The information comes together. We see what is relevant to our problem. And we see how to solve the problem. All the studies that have been made on creativity show that in the accounts of different creative people, for example, scientists who have made wonderful discoveries or inventors, that they have this moment of insight. It doesn't come usually until after a great deal of work. It doesn't just come all at once. It comes only after they've worked over the data, worked over it, worked over it, and then suddenly the light goes on. In cartoons, the cartoonist wants to indicate that a person gets the idea and he puts a little light bulb with its rays in the cartoon in a balloon over the character's head. That's a visualization of this experience of insight. And once we get an insight, then it gives us a principle from which we can reason and get other deductions. Now, why is it that it takes us so long to get an insight? What are we doing? What is our brain doing? Our brain is taking the information received from the senses, is working it over, is leaving out a lot of irrelevancies, and it's getting a good image, an image that is typical. And at the moment we get the typical image, then we get the idea. But the idea is not the image. The idea is abstract. 
the image is still concrete. When you study mathematics, the teacher draws a diagram on the board and points out some of the different relations in the diagram. Then the diagram is good, and if you're attentive, you understand what is being said. You get the insight. The diagram is an image that has helped you get the intellectual abstract insight. The image was particular. It was in a certain place, had a certain color, and you saw it at a certain time. The abstract notion, however, doesn't have any of those particularities about. I tell you 2 plus 2 equals 4, and you'll get the idea of 2 and 4 by, let's say, counting on your fingers. But 2 is not just the 2 of 2 fingers, or 2 oranges, or 2 dogs. It's the abstract 2. And that insight is intellectual. So we have an intellectual power. And this is what distinguishes us from the animals. It's the specifically human thing about us, that we have this wonderful capacity to see the essentials of something apart from the irrelevant accidentals. It makes creativity possible, it makes science possible, it makes invention possible, and it makes it possible for us to talk about things like human rights. Everybody has human rights, not just this man, that man, or some other man, but in abstract, there are human rights. This intellectual power, then, is the key to understanding the human being. And we can't get it just by looking inside of ourselves, as Descartes thought. We really come to understand it by understanding our body. Aristotle says, why do we have a hand like we have when the apes don't have a thumb that can be opposed to the other fingers? Well, it's because we have an intelligence. And because we have an intelligence, we need a hand that is very manipulative. It doesn't just pick up food. It doesn't just grab a hold of a branch like an ape's hand. It writes. It measures. It does all kinds of delicate things. Every part of the human body is filled with intelligence. We see this especially in the athlete or in the ballet dancer. If you watch Tiger Woods playing golf, you see that every muscle of his body is intelligent. It carries out exactly what his intelligence has in mind. That's why you see so many athletes today who, just before they're going to perform, they concentrate, they think, they psych themselves. They are focusing their intelligence on what they're trying to do, and that intelligence goes through every muscle and nerve of their body because they have trained their body to be intelligent. That, I believe, is the way to understand the human being. 
That is why the Pope talks about the theology of the body. We come to know the human person by the study of what we are able to do, like the animals, and what we can do that the animals can't do. What makes us unique? And that is our intelligence. Now, from intelligence flows freedom. Because you can think abstractly, you can see a goal, and you can see the different means, the possible means to the goal. And you are free then to select one means rather than another. You weigh the advantages and disadvantages of each means, you measure them by their relation to the goal, and you make a choice. Freedom comes from intelligence. And when our freedom is limited, for example, somebody who's just had too much drugs or alcohol, they're no longer free. They can't choose. They're carried along by impulses and instincts and drives, like an animal is. Freedom comes from intelligence. But both of them need the senses. Our intelligence won't work without the sense information. It would just be blank. And our will would not work if it were not for evaluations of what is good and bad for ourselves. And that always involves feelings, emotions. We have to remember whether this felt good or whether it felt bad, whether it made us suffer or made us happy, before we can really evaluate the things of our life. So our emotions, which are in our body, they're not just in our mind. Hunger is in your stomach as well as in your imagination. Your feelings are in you, in your body. We have then the intelligence and the will and corresponding to the intelligence, sense knowledge, the senses, and corresponding to the will are feelings, or as they used to call it, the passions, the drives towards some things and away from other things. That gives us a diagram. It's only a very broad diagram, but it is a diagram that makes the human being make sense. We are created by God to share with him the power of knowing the truth, of intelligence, and the freedom to be able to follow what is good and avoid what is evil. And in order to be able to do that, we have been given a body, and that body has been organized in such a way that it serves our imagination, which is in our brain. So to answer the question I gave earlier, what is the brain? The brain is the instrument of our intelligence. But what it actually does is to gather sense information and retain it. It is the seat of our imagination, what people usually call imagination. It forms images, and especially those images which will help the intelligence. The intelligence, therefore, is not something material. We could make a computer that will model anything that we can draw a diagram of, anything material. 
but we can't make a computer form abstract ideas or make choices. The choices are programmed. The computer, like the brain, models. It processes the information and produces a model from which we can have intellectual insight. Moreover, the computer is far less effective than our brain is. If you look at the brain, and we can now, with our imaging methods, see which parts of the brain are operating and which are quiet, we see that the brain is a wonderful network, a network, nerves going every which direction and making all kinds of connections with each other. The brain is more complex than anything else in the universe. But it is something like a computer. It differs from the computer in that it is alive, can perfect itself, it has been produced by the body and is alive, takes in energy and gives out energy in a living manner. And to date, it is much more effective than a computer. The computer can do a lot of things more rapidly than our brain can do, but there are plenty of things that the brain can do that no computer has done yet. Interesting case of that is translation. At first, it was thought it would be easy to make a computer that can translate from one language to another. Well, we've got some computers that can do a rough job at this, but they make all kinds of terrible mistakes. They are far short of what the human brain can do. However, there is no doubt that we can make computers that will become closer and closer to what the brain does. What they will not be able to do is to have insight. I don't say consciousness. Animals are conscious. The dog actually sees the bone. He sees it, is conscious of it. But he is not self-conscious of it. He does not think in abstract terms the way we do. He simply sees particulars. Now that proves that thought cannot be the operation of a machine of any sort, of any material thing. The reason the brain has such a network is to get information from one point of the brain to another point of the brain. But self-consciousness is a condition that cannot be spread out if my consciousness of myself here talking to you were material, there would be part of it over here and part of it over here. But the very notion of self-consciousness is I've got it all together. It's all, so to speak, at a point. A material thing always has parts. No matter how small a material thing it has parts because, I said in the last lecture, the first property of any material thing is 
that it has quantity, it has parts. And as long as it has parts, it can't be all together at once. Self-consciousness, which is involved in every piece of abstract thinking, is to have it all together. I not only know something, I know that I know it, and I know that I know that I know it. As many times as you want it, to put it that way, self-consciousness is self-presence. Now, imagination, which is in our brain, is not self-present. I can imagine myself, but then the image is somehow like we're over here. It's not identical with my person, my personal consciousness. It's at this point that the Aristotelian procedure touches on Descartes. Descartes believed that I think, therefore I am. And he was right. I'm conscious of myself. I'm present to myself. The reality of myself is undoubtable, as long as I'm awake. Where he was wrong was to leave the body out of that. We can't do that without the body. The minute our body becomes disturbed, we lose the full sense of our presence. When you go to sleep, your thoughts become illogical. They become floating images, and you're not even sure that you are yourself. From one moment of the dream to the other, you're this thing, you're that thing, you're this person, that person. It's only on awakening that you become fully aware, this is me. Maybe I'm not so great, but this is me. I'm a substance. I really exist. I'm conscious to myself. I don't know myself perfectly. I don't know what, at this moment, what is going on in my liver. I know a little bit about what's going on in my lungs. I can take in air. But there's much in my body that I do not know or understand. There's an unconscious part of the human person. And that's why Sigmund Freud was able to tell us so much more about the unconsciousness of ourself. But what is fully conscious is our intelligence. When we are awake, conscious of my presence, and that this is my body, not anybody else's body, it's mine, and I'm it. I'm identical with it. So there are levels of consciousness, and there is an unconscious mind. But the full intelligence is the point at which I become fully self-intelligent, self-conscious, realizing who I am. Now, it is that kind of thing that modern science can give us, provided it open itself to the possibility that there is immaterial reality. If it sticks with the idea that the brain is the whole explanation, modern science will remain in a quandary about the human person. The scientist himself, who is studying the human person, will not be able to explain 
how he works as a scientist. He has abstract thought. No animal has. No machine has. And yet the scientist is supremely a person of self-consciousness. He knows his thinking so well that he knows how to exclude his subjective feelings, his prejudices, and so on, as he tries to reason to the truth. Thus, we come to a certain knowledge of human nature. We will never have a perfect knowledge of human nature. We are a mystery. The complexity of the human body, the depth of the human mind, is so great that we can always learn more about ourselves. The standard definition of the human species as rational animals is a perfectly good definition. But we don't know that much about our animal nature, and we certainly don't know that much about our rational side. There's much more to learn about that. Theology works in this direction. Theology is aiming to understand the person as God made us in all our complexity. It knows it will never come to an end, but it wants to know more. It is not content with old ideas about the human person. And on the other hand, it is confident that we do know enough about the human person from ordinary experience of life prior to science, the experimental and artificial observances of science, we know enough about ourselves to know who we are and to see ourselves as more than the animal, as beings who are at one time together material and spiritual and made in the likeness of God, who is pure spirit, but who is the creator of matter and our body. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.